Welcome to today's podcast. We're in week two of this um, short series we're called Letting Go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Hello there, and welcome to the Believer's Church Podcast. A podcast about real people, real problems, and real answers. Podcasting from the beautiful East Tennessee mountains. Here's your host, Pastor Mike Friday. You know, I think all of us have stuff in our lives that we kind of carry around with us. Even if we be considered growing up in this perfect environment, I think that environment itself may have loaded up some extra stuff in our lives. And some of the things that I find people carry around, and even myself, it's relational stuff. Um, Maybe a failed marriage in your past, or maybe you uh, had a sin in your life, or were the victim of sin in someone else's life. Maybe your relationship with your children or your parents or your relatives or in-laws. Something with someone just isn't right, and because you've never fully dealt with that issue, it just kind of hangs on to you. And then there's all the cultural stuff, right? You know, the government has been unfair to you or stuff at work. You didn't get the promotion you wanted or a project you worked on for months was rejected, or maybe your boss just doesn't even like you. You get all these emotions around these issues and bitterness and anger, resentment, despair, unforgiveness, and you're just carrying it around. So in this series, last week we talked about letting go of a a bitter spirit, and and we said this, you know, if you're going to lose that bitter spirit, you've got to learn how to forgive. I I mean, in fact, letting go always involves forgiveness. If you're going to let a bitter spirit go, it's it's going to be there. And then uh, I think something else many times we, we deal with is it's a judgmental spirit. And unfortunately, the church as a whole and many people inside the church are really too quick to judge others on the outside of the church. And one of the reasons why people who are far from God don't want to come to church is because they feel they will be walking into a very judgmental place. Now, the Bible does teach we are to judge each other inside the church, but we are to preserve judgment for those in the family of God, and we are to judge ourselves first, always look at ourselves first. In other words, we are to take the plank out of our own eye before, only before we can take the splinter or help take the splinter out of someone else's. So it's very clear within the church we are to stand up and to go to a brother or sister who have done has done wrong, who are in sin. Paul gives us those instructions in 1 Corinthians. Now, there's sin itself. And in the early church, again, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians talks about how the early church handled like a real live situation where a member of the church was living in sin or had sinned, and the church rightly took disciplinary action and passed judgment on that sin. And they did so not for the purpose of punishment or punishing the church member who had gotten away from God, but primarily for the purpose of bringing him to repentance and restoration. And I'm telling you something, through my ministry, what I've learned, if if we are not going to hold one another accountable within God's family, God will judge us. He will ch- He will judge our church. So today, I'm going to I want to deal with letting go of you know what I think is more prevalent in church, the weighs down church more that causes a pastor more grief and more heartache and more headache than any other baggage that I could imagine, and that is this: letting go of unresolved conflict. You know, two words in our vocabulary that carry very negative connotations. One is conflict. The other is confrontation. And now with a few exceptions, most of us don't like conflict. I mean, how many times have you ever heard someone say about him or herself, I don't like confrontation, right? But we're going to learn 
something amazing today from the teachings of Jesus, and that is neither conflict nor confrontation has to be negative, because we're going to learn today that God can use conflict and confrontation as an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ, to bear witness to the gospel and to each other, people, how to work out their differences. He's going to show us that. And one of the most loving, positive things you can ever do for someone else is to help them to see when they are on the wrong path, when they are doing hurtful things and showing them how they can change. So if you live life long enough, folks, you're going to learn that conflict is a part of life and confrontation is sometimes necessary. And when it becomes negative is when the conflict is unresolved and the confrontation that is needed never really takes place. So I'll ask you a question right out of the shoot here. Is there anyone you know today that if they were to die, you would have regrets over the fact that there was unresolved conflict between the two of you? You think about that as we move forward in this message today. You see, there are no problems too big to solve when God is involved. Just people too little to solve them. Someone has offended you. Someone has hurt you. Someone has sinned against you. How do you deal with it? Let me give you four things really quick. Number one, we need to personally admit there is an issue. Personally admit there's an issue. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Luke 17, 3 says this, pay attention to yourselves. Look at yourself. Are you where you need to be? And if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And Jesus outlines specifically a situation that we all either have been or will be involved in at some time or another. There's a brother, not a literal, literal brother here, but he's referring to someone who is a fellow believer, someone in the family of faith. And the brother sins against you, and you're dealing with a situation where you are the innocent party. I mean, you've not done anything wrong to anyone, but someone has done something wrong to you. What do you do? Now, obviously, we're not talking about a neighbor here who just maybe throws their chewing gum in your yard. I mean, there's so many things that should be overlooked that are not sin. So Jesus is dealing with a situation where an offense uh, needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with properly. And let me just give you the average situation and what people do when they are hurt by someone. First of all, they refuse to deal with it, whether it's out of distaste or confrontation or a lack of courage, or even worse, the person's relationship just isn't valued that much, and we refuse to deal with it. And even though you don't deal with the problem, the problem will deal with you. Because the more you let it go, the more it festers, and the more it festers, the more bitter you get. Then eventually we go and we talk to someone else, right? And if there's one thing I've learned, when somebody really hurts you, it is impossible for you not to tell somebody else about it. And frankly, this is when what could have been a molehill turns into a mountain. When you go to a person about a problem who is neither a part of the problem nor can be a solution to the problem, you just made that person a part of the problem. So the first thing you've got to do is admit there is an issue. Quit pretending. Don't act like you're not upset. Don't act like you're not bitter. People see it. God sees it. Number two, properly assess the situation. Jesus uses a word that tells us why confrontation not only at times is necessary, but it is the most loving thing to do and the most godly thing to do. And the word is brother. 
Now, he's not talking here about a stranger, even someone who is just an acquaintance. He's talking about someone who's part of the faith family, someone part of your local church. They're a part of that fellowship. They're your brother. They're your sister. And you know what, folks? If there's anyone who should be able to work out their conflicts, if there's anyone who should be able to resolve their differences, if there's anyone who should be able to overcome hurt and heartache and reconcile relationships, it ought to be the people in God's family. Now, you have to go back to what Jesus said immediately before he gave these instructions to put it into its proper context and understand what was at stake here before Jesus talked about a family. He talked about a flock. Before he talked about siblings, he talked about sheep. Look at verse 12. What do you think, he said? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So Jesus begins by asking the disciples this simple question, what do you think? So just a little advice for you here. Whenever Jesus asks that question, never answer it because you'll probably be wrong. Have you ever noticed that when you lose something, you're more concerned with what you lost than with what you still have? Have you ever lost your car keys? I mean, what do you do when you lose your car keys? I mean, you forget about everything you have, and you go find those keys, right? You don't just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, I still have my car, or at least I still have a house. No, what matters more to you than anything is those car keys. I mean, if you have three young children, and you take them into Walmart, and all of a sudden, you look around, and one is missing. You don't just keep shopping and say, well, at least I have two more. No, (laughs) Yeah, you'll get on the loudspeaker and you'll get every employee and every customer in the store to help you find it. Jesus goes on, verse 13. And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Now, the reason why there is so much joy when you find that lost sheep or that lost child, it's not because that sheep or that child is more valuable or more loved than the ones who are not lost, but because they need to be rescued and they need to be found. I mean, when someone has sinned against you or when someone has done something wrong and hurt you, or maybe it is a situation where it is not so much against you, but it's against someone else or it's against the church or it's against their own family, you need to see these people who have wandered off the path of faith or wandered away from a relationship and ask yourself, how much more important should that brother be to me than a sheep would be to the shepherd? And that's why I just want to say it again. Confrontation is is not an unloving thing to do, but in many cases, it is the most loving thing you can do. I mean, because you're going to them, you're not trying to revenge a wrong, you're trying to restore a relationship, which leads to point number three. You ready? Privately approach the person or persons involved. Look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, here is where the problem of unresolved conflict starts. Here's why the problem continues, and here is where the problem festers. Now, let me just say this. There is no excuse for not going. Now, we may, we may think, well, he or she won't listen, or it won't do any good. They'll just do it again. it just make them more angry. But here's the kicker. All of those things may be true, but you still have to go. Look at verse 15 again. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. There's a great principle here that's violated, I think, so many times in churches, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendship. It causes so many problems, and the principle is this. Whenever conflict occurs, keep the circle of people involved as small as possible or as long as possible. And this tells us that the major reason 
you do this is not for condemnation, but for restoration. When you just want to get revenge, when you just want your pound of flesh, when you just want to make things worse, what do you do? Well, you talk to someone else about that person. You let other people know how bad this person has done you and the sin he has committed against you. And what you really want to do is put the other person down while you put yourself up. Look how bad he is. Look how he has treated me. Look how good I am. You know, here's the, here's the thing. But when you go privately to that person, then it's obvious that you're not trying to win an argument, but you're trying to win a brother. You're not going for condemnation, but you're going for restoration. Verse 15 again, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I mean, you don't go hoping he won't listen, but you go believing he will listen. If he does, you've gained your brother. That word gain, that's a financial term that refers to making money or winning a prize. So you're not going to win an argument. You're going to win a brother. If he listens, great. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, what if they don't listen? Well, that's the last step. Number four, persistently apply the effort to reconcile. Suppose the person doesn't listen. He refuses to make things right. He refuses to admit his wrongdoing. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, go back to the analogy of the lost child in Walmart. If at first you look for that child and you cannot find that child, what do you do? You would get others to help you. Why would you do that? Because you wouldn't give up until you found that child. Just as God doesn't give up on us, we should not give up on others. And in this case, you should take along two or three others. What is the purpose of doing this? Well, I would say it's twofold. First, when you take other people along with you, you're showing this person that this is more than a personal vendetta. You're showing this person how serious you are about restoring this relationship. And the other reason is, if the person still refuses to listen, then other people can confirm not only that this person is unrepentant, but also that you have handled yourself the way you should, and you've done everything you can to reconcile the situation. You say, well, what if that doesn't work? Verse 17, Matthew 18. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, be careful here. Keep in mind, when Jesus spoke about the church, there was no church. I mean, the church hadn't been formed yet, the early church. So what he meant was you take this to a group of people that are trusted authorities that maybe also have a relationship with this person and let them know along with these two or three witnesses that you have done everything possible to bring reconciliation and yet the guilty party has refused at this point we're to treat them as outsiders you say well outsiders what does that mean well listen it doesn't mean you refuse to speak to them it doesn't mean that you're ugly toward them it doesn't mean you have a mean spirit toward them What it does mean is you refuse to have fellowship or even social contact with that person until that person makes things right. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 says, Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You continue to pray for that person. You continue to love that person. You let it be made known, and so should all the circles of influence he has in the church. There will be no fellowship and there will be no place of leadership for that person until that person is willing to make things right. So turn this around. Suppose you're listening to this podcast today and you're sitting there and the Spirit of God has convicted you, convicted you, and you know that you 
are not the offended brother, but you are the offending brother. I mean, you're not, you're, you're, well, yeah, let's say it this way. You are the one who has caused a breach in the relationship, and yet out of pride and stubbornness, you've refused to make things right. But you're willing to. And I would say don't wait for the offended brother to come to you. You go to the brother that you've offended. There's um, six steps of reconciliation that you can find pretty much out there anywhere. These are wonderful. Let me give them to you really quick. Number one, address everyone involved that has been hurt or offended. Address everyone involved that has been hurt or offended. Number two, avoid these words, if, but, and maybe. Number three, admit specifically the wrong that has been done. Number four, accept the consequences of your actions. Number five, alter your behavior. And number six, ask for forgiveness. We need to practice what we preach because there's a lot of people out there that would teach this podcast or this message and yet not practice it. A lot of churches out there will not follow us, and God will judge them for that. It is extremely difficult to confront a person, to share with them candidly and forthrightly some tremendous flaws that he or she has in their life, and most likely no one has ever confronted him with. And you know what? More often than not, when these meetings occur, the person will say something along the lines of, well, I, I have never had anyone talk to me the way you talk to me in my life. I appreciate that. Thank you for loving me that much. But these meetings don't always go well. Sometimes we reach a resolution, but other times that confrontation, even though it is biblical and done in as loving a way as possible, creates a divide in the relationship that is never mended. So if you have been carrying in your heart an offense from another person, and it's time for you to let that offense go, it's time for you to simply overlook that offense, whatever it may be, to, um, if it's not a sin. Because, um, you know what, there's so many things that happen in our lives, and we just want to be careful that we have the heart of God and that we have uh, the reflection of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives when we when we choose to go to a brother or sister in Christ. And I know the, the, some offenses like your brother or your neighbor always blows their leaves over in your yard, you know. What do you do about that? I know they're a Christian. They need to be confronted. Um, you know, that's, that's something that really needs to be considered and weighed, um, I think. So sin is one of the kickers. When, um, when sin is involved, it always has to be dealt with. But if you're an offended person, I'm asking you, you know what, man up, step up, restore that relationship, and know that if the brothers do listen, and if, and, and if the relationships are restored, I'm the greatest rejoicing, other than someone coming to Christ, is going to take place in heaven, because the Father wants His children to be right with each other. Forgive one another. Be biblical. Not culturally relevant. Not what culture says. Be obedient. Trust what Jesus says. Find your peace from Him. Let go. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Believer's Church Podcast. Visit us online at www.believerschurch.tv. Facebook.com slash believerschurch.tv. Follow Pastor Mike at twitter.com slash Mike Friday and Instagram.com slash MF Real Life. Check out the other podcasts all about life and the world. Until next time, keep it real and come on.